Hi, folks. Keith Jones here. You're fixing to listen to Front Row Knowles on the podcast. But before we get started, we want to thank the Champions Club and specifically Seminole Boosters for sponsoring our podcast that allows us to bring the podcast to you commercial-free. You know, we are one tribe. We are unconquered. In the last uh, few years, Florida State has built a tradition of excellence. But right now, all of us that are Seminoles are facing a challenge. We've got 20 sports programs, all the coaches, student athletes that are involved. We've got some budget cuts that we're trying to uh, work through due to the pandemic. And right now, we need you. In order to provide all of our teams and student athletes with the best possible opportunity for success, we need your help. We need you to join Seminole Boosters. We need you to renew your membership. We need you to increase your contribution. We need you to consider making a gift. We don't talk heavy-handed like this much, but this is the time to be a little heavy-handed. Help us out. Help Florida State out. Help Florida State boosters out. And most of all, we want to continue to thank the boosters and specifically the Champions Club for sponsoring us and bringing Front Row Knowles to you. Stay tuned and listen. Thanks. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. Keith, you and I are having twice the fun these days since we do this show twice per week. Uh, but it's it's twice as much fun after a win, not so much after a loss. So here we are 48 hours, 72 hours after we last uh, discussed the game. Where are you at this point? Haven't changed much. The d- disappointment is very real. I've been pleased, was scared to death as to what other media and or fans would have to say regarding the performance. Because uh, as you and I talked immediately after the game, I thought the effort was good. It was just execution and and the inability of the offense to sustain drives. I think the one thing that has come out that I didn't realize at the time is that uh, while they had a couple, FSU did not offensively have very many three and outs. There were a number of drives that were six and eight or ten plays, but they only managed 25 or 30 yards of net yardage in those drives <clears throat> and that was a little bit encouraging to me because if you'd have had five or six three and outs uh, you certainly would be very very wary of what this offense can do uh, by the fact that they had at least some consistency in drives in terms of number of plays then you factor in a missed block on a running play or a drop pass on a passing play and you can see where that yardage could be made up very quickly if you just execute correctly yeah, I thought there was, of course, after a loss, that's obviously where everybody's attention focus is. I think if you step back and remove emotion, there were some positive signs. But really, I think the biggest takeaway is we all have to take a deep breath. This is not getting fixed overnight. And to your point about the offense, it wasn't three and outs. But I don't see difference makers. Jimbo used to call them guys who change the scoreboard. Tamari and Terry would fit in that bucket, I guess. And so if you don't have those guys that are going to make people miss, it's imperative that you get the ball out on time, that the ball is where it's supposed to be, because anytime it's not, that just helps the defense. And so I think it just all adds into the inconsistencies that we see. And really what I'm saying is the team's not good enough, and they haven't been for a few years, to overcome those kind of mistakes. 
if you make those mistakes, you're correct. I do think that if you go back and charted the plays, there were probably six or seven potential scoring plays, gash plays, that either Blackman overthrew or missed through or a receiver dropped the ball, or in the case of Emmett Wright's, a pick six, that could have demonstrably changed the game. But I go back to a macro thing, and we've talked about this off and on, but this is a huge issue. When this team got up 10 to nothing, despite the lightning delays and that type of thing, Tommy, they don't know how to win. They still don't know how to win. And you go to another mindset when you get up on a team and, and you, you go to that ability or find that ability to stretch that lead. And unfortunately, these kids don't know that yet because they just haven't experienced it. And that's something that uh, can only be done in a game and can be only done with success, in my opinion. I would take that a step further. There's certainly not the killer instinct, step on the opponent's throat, kick them while they're down, and just make them quit. But there's also so much doubt that creeps in when the game is on the line that there's uh, the glass is always half empty in those scenarios instead of half full. It feels like, and I've said this on the sideline for a couple of years, and I'm not on the sideline now this year with the COVID restrictions, and this is much the way the fan base feels. Instead of the thought being who's going to make the play to win the game, it's almost the opposite of, well, how are we going to mess this up? You know what I mean? Which I hate to put it that way, but they need the confidence. And I don't know how you get over that until you do it. Last year. That's my, that's my point. You, yeah. you don't get over it until you do it. These guys need to taste some success. Yeah. Now, I do think there's something to be said for the fact that Mike Norvell and staff, and I think he's got a good staff, and I think he's a really good football mind. They did not know how the team would respond when the lights were on. And you don't know it until you play a game. I mean, he said it, every coach says it at the start of the season, we need to play a game. I mean, you can go through practice for six months straight and think that your guys are doing everything right. And maybe they are. I mean, take James Blackman, take Terry, take Warren Thompson. Maybe Warren's not dropping passes in practice. Maybe James is getting the ball out on time and not seeing ghosts because he's not being hit in practice. Uh, I don't know, but now we do know what it looks like when the lights are on on Saturday. And more Very importantly, much so. more importantly, Norvell and his staff know. And, and and there is a little bit, not a lot, but there's a little bit that you can do in practice to replicate specific things that you may have seen during the game or things that stand out to you on tape. Obviously, you cannot replicate the entire process, but getting that game film is very, very important. And uh, Coach Norvell said early this week uh, something that I think is very telling. They did a cut-up of plays that they ran in practice and didn't run them correctly, and then went back-to-back with the same play that they ran in the game and guess what? They didn't run it correctly. So here's, the, here's it on Tuesday of the week before, and here's it on Saturday, and you didn't do it right on Tuesday, you didn't do it right on Saturday. That is a great teaching tool for young minds because a lot of the times young kids will forget what they did on Tuesday and only focus on Saturday and, and not appreciate what the old, the old guys that keep saying the same thing over and over and over again. <laughs> you play like you practice. You play like you practice. Well, there's a reason they say that. No question. So coming up on today's show, we'll be joined in a little bit by our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. We'll also hear comments from defense coordinator Adam Fuller, who 
met with the media earlier today. And Keith, let's let's stay on offense for now. Next segment, we'll jump into the defense. And I don't want to make this all about James Blackman and the quarterback position, though clearly that needs to be part of the discussion. But I do think as you go back, the not having a spring, not really having an off season, only having two scrimmages in the fall, most notably the the spring out of that. I, you might have you might have gone into May and June differently in terms of the transfer portal and and other avenues if you're the coaching staff if you had had a full 15 practices and had a better assessment of truly what you were holding in your hand you know uh, maybe maybe not but I don't know that you you truly knew very much after three practices in the spring and then everything got shut down you didn't and 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 again with a first year program you know you're spending at least in those three first practices doing an install of something that's completely new and then you got to replicate that in fall camp so it's not like you've got anybody out there running the same play that they ran last year it may be look it may look the same but it's not called the same and certainly not executed the same um you know I, I think the other part of it is is it has to do with you know what what blackman was able to do and then once I guess what I'm saying is in today's game, and this has happened in the last five or seven or ten years, in today's game, the importance of a quarterback has been magnified. You know, 30, 40 years ago, Georgia could bring in Herschel Walker and they could win a national championship with him as a freshman because he was a dominant running back. Auburn did it with Bo Jackson. Uh, Oklahoma State did it with Barry Sanders. You know, you bring in that that really, really good running back in the running game 30 or 40 years ago could win you a championship. Well, that, that offensive mindset has changed. You know, you can see a Fields go to another school and immediately shine. And you can see Oklahoma have what now, the fourth quarterback in fourth, four years that is a supreme talent, and that Oklahoma offense is really clicking. Blackman – just hasn't worked into that role yet, and I don't know that there's anybody else on the team that would, but it illustrates how significantly, more significantly, the quarterback position is in today's offensive world than maybe we've ever seen. Well, I think it illustrates that Florida State just has not been good enough at the quarterback position for a number of years, really since Jameis Winston, candidly, when when I look at it. Because you watch other teams play, and if you have a quarterback who can run – you don't have to read a full defense. You you can have a two-route combo and then take off and run. I used to think when Deshaun Watson was early in his career at Clemson that they would give him half the field and then he would run if it was busted and he'd get a first down. Now, he obviously he had a lot more ability than that. He's making a big paycheck on Sundays in the NFL. But I, I think is looking at this year's FSU team, so here's my question. It, it sounds like maybe Chubb will be back sooner rather than later. I don't know what that means. Uh, Jordan Travis is back now, although he missed much of camp. And then you have Rodemaker. How do you attack this going forward? I mean, do you stick with James? Do you stick with James, except sometimes it's Jordan? Or do you say, hey, here's our guys. And you know what? Here's the four plays that Rodemaker runs best. And Miami doesn't know what they are. So we're going to put them out there for a series and run these four. And then we're going to go to Blackman. And then we're going to let Jordan Travis run these four. And how do you get creative? I know that's not continuity. And you're a guy that played with a two-headed quarterback system. But 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 you got to find some ways to manufacture some offense. I agree. I, I, I'm not ready to concede that you need to go to three, but certainly you find a way to get uh, Travis some more snaps and some different snaps as he continues to get some practice underneath his belt. 
And again, what's so frustrating and what's so disheartening about this, Tommy, is that James Blackman has done nothing from a team standpoint, a work ethic standpoint, a support the program standpoint. You almost hate, I do anyway, you almost hate being critical of him because he is such an outstanding young man and such a good teammate. But the bottom line is I ran a 4.65-4.740 on a good day. If that position now requires a 4.5 or 4.440, I can't do that. Certainly not now. Couldn't do it then. If James just can't get to that next level, then it's time to refocus and give some other attention somewhere else. Offensive line, I do think, and it was hard in the moment to appreciate this, I think the left side of the line and the center, you've got something to build on there with, with Darius Washington and Dante and then the, the freshman center. Uh, you know, and that leaves you two seniors on the right side. I think – and four of the five guys went out. I'm not saying that it's, uh, it's going to be the great wall, but I think there's some improvement there. Certainly they, they, there was some, some better pass pro – the run game's going to going to be a work in progress, but I think they're better than they were. Again, that's the measuring stick at Georgia Tech. We'll see, but I think there's some places you can build. I agree, and I think uh, as you mentioned, was it Washington that's the freshman center? Um, when he went out, it affected everybody else. Despite everybody else going out, I mean, I really think he might be the key to bring in that offensive line along because of the nature of communication and stability. Uh, I like the way they played the first two, maybe three series, even four series. And it would not be fair to be overly critical of them because of the injuries that they sustained, particularly in the second half. And then I go back repeating myself, when you got a six or eight play drive or a 10 play drive, I think they had five drives in that ball game of over 10 plays, but you're not getting yardage. Is that the offensive line's fault? Is that the skill position's fault? Is that play calling? I think it's a little bit of everything. Uh, At least, again, you weren't doing the three and outs that we're so unfortunately accustomed to seeing in years past. Yeah, it was definitely a mixed bag. But, I I mean, now you know what your parts are. I thought Toa Feely talking about running backs, uh, not that we've gone there, he didn't get many opportunities. He looks like he might have a, a little bit of an extra gear or, or a very bright future ahead. I know he just got limited touches. What would you think of the backs? I thought they were adequate. Uh, I thought they did a reasonable job. Nobody jumped out other than him uh, in terms of upside. But, again, you know, it, it makes you appreciate what we've had with Cam Akers and others prior because uh, we used to always talk with Cam about yards after contact, which meant he was normally getting hit in the backfield. And that also raised its head a little bit this game. And the learning how to, to uh, be productive when you're taking a hit early as opposed to at the linebacker level is something that, again, only comes with experience, only comes with repetitions. And uh, unfortunately, uh, that appears to be, at least early this year, how, that oper- how the running backs are going to have to operate. One quick correction. It's Maurice Smith is the center you're talking about. Darius you, Washington. Is the, yeah, Darius Washington's the left tackle. Pa- apologize to Maurice. I apologize. Yeah, just, just to set the record straight on that one. Okay, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk more on defense. We'll hear from defensive coordinator Adam Fuller right after this. This is Front Row Knowles.
Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you. Uh, we'll get to the defense here. Keith, nobody ever wants to talk about special teams. That was It was good special teams. That, that was an area that was much improved. Very much so. Uh, even, even kickoff returns, um, uh, kickoff coverage. You know, uh, in years past, they have asked the kickers to kick the ball out of the end zone on kickoffs. They chose, my opinion, we, we need to ask that specific question, but they chose to keep the ball in play and make Tech return kickoffs. And except with one exception, they got them behind the 20. Um, I thought the punter did real well. I still think our fans need to uh, – we, we need to have an op- – we need to get him on our show because that uh, – I just love that Australian accent. It just leaves, <laughs> leaves you thinking that there's a little more there with Alex, and, and certainly he punted well. But obviously you point to the uh, – Two field goals that were blocked, the PAT that was blocked. You're not going to get those in every game. They'll they'll scheme against that. They'll find out where Marvin is, where 21 is, and make sure there's somebody on him. But I, I really was impressed with how the kids bought into special teams and how they performed on Saturday. That will end up winning you a ball game or two somewhere down the road. Almost won him a game this past week. I mean, it almost Agreed. started that way. Travis J. too, I'm excited about what he can bring to the table. And uh, as we segue to defense, I think he's got a chance to help there. Some are already calling to see him back on offense. He was a quarterback in high school, too. Um, but I think he, he's one of those guys they need to find a way to, to feature him where they can. Okay, let's listen now to defensive coordinator Adam Fuller, Florida State's defense. Uh, drew a lot of hype over the offseason, especially with Josh Kando being named really as the MVP of fall camp. And then as things materialized on Saturday, we didn't see quite as good a defensive performance as what we expected, and that's probably true for Adam Fuller too. So here's his comments now as he met the media earlier today. Looking, looking back at that game, uh, I mean, I, even though they had, had a lot of yards, uh, I think midway through the third quarter you still had a shutout. How did you feel up until that point? How did you feel about uh, how you guys were playing? Were you guys executing what you were trying to do? Um. You know, I we got some red zone stops and created some things that are always positive. But, no, we weren't playing good enough. Um, you know, we were a little bit loose with some things that we want to be tighter with and, you know, at all different levels, you know, whether it was missed tackles, whether it was coverage, whether it was the rush. You know, we weren't playing great, um, you know, at halftime. And it was a fine balance of, you know, when you're in at halftime saying, listen, this is going well. This is not going well. This needs to be addressed. This needs to be changed and then go back and do a better job of executing for sure. Coach Fuller, when you guys lost Joshua Kando, how did the other DNs do with stepping up guys like Deontay Williams and some of the young guys? Yeah, not good enough, um, you know, but, you know, listen, when, when somebody goes down, somebody's role is going to increase. That's always going to happen, you know, whether it's moving guys around, whether it's the next man up, whatever that has to has to be, so – We've got to get better at a lot of places, um, including, you know, Josh's position. Uh, that was unfortunate, but things happen. You know, and we got to be prepared when the next guy goes in to um, play better, you know, and just collectively, not just at that position, but just collectively. 
Hey, Coach, uh, one of the things that uh, was a bugaboo for the defense last year was giving up chuck plays, and you guys gave up 18 uh, plays of 10 yards or more on Saturday night. Uh, how critical is it to get that shored up, and how do you do it? And also, against the day's offenses, what's it allowable, or what's your goal for those type of plays? Um, the goal is not to give up any, you know, and – we want to make – I mean, there's certain times that whatever – I mean, plays happen, you know, good throws, good catches happen. Um, you know, the challenge to our guys is when there are one-on-one plays, we got to make our plays, right? And, you know, whatever that is, you know, some are schematically, you know, over the years that somebody makes a play, some are one-on-one matchups, some are just, you know, great plays, you know. And, and, and But the challenge to our guys is – when we're in that situation, whether it's a corner, whether it's a pass rusher, whether it's a tackle, you know, whatever that is, good defenses find ways to make their share, you know, to get them to third downs and then win the third downs, you know, and, you know, that's critical for us to make sure that we get better in all areas of that. Um, you know, we don't want to give up 10 yard plays, but we do track any plays of 20 or more. Um, and, you know, because the challenge is in, it happened, but it didn't happen, right? You make teams drive the field. You don't ever want to happen. You want to go three and out every time. You want to take the ball away quickly. Uh, but when the plays do happen, there are some critical things. The ability to tackle, our goal is 10 or less, you know, each game. We had way too many Saturday. Um, the next thing is third down defense because that gives you the ability to get off the field. Um, that involves takeaways, right, the sooner you can get the ball back. Then it comes down to some red zone defense as well. Um, you know, the red zone defense at times was good, including the pride team getting some block kicks. Um, you don't want to rely on those things, but it's all part of it. Uh, but when you give up chunk plays, you know, that obviously creates major moves down the football field. And, you know, whether it's tighter coverage, whether it's tighter run fits, whether it's just tackling the ball better when you're in that position, all of that needs to get tied tighter. For avocado, organic is a mission. For a healthier planet and a healthier you. Start your one-year mattress trial today. Isn't that something? The way we interrupted their video? No, how your rates won't go up just because of this accident, thanks to your Farmer's Policy Perk accident forgiveness. That's a relief. Get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Let's see. When you can't get pressure... From your, your front four, I mean, you as a defensive coordinator, is it easier, I guess lack of a better term, to maybe mix up coverages to help get negative plays and get the defense off the field? Or, or do you have to become more aggressive and try to find other guys, whether it's a defensive end or, or bring more pressure? Both. You know, I think pressure is when coverage and rush work together, right? Um, you'd rather not put stress on the coverage, but there are sacks that happen five seconds into the play and you tip your hat to the coverage. You know, sometimes there's guys that get beat, you know, but you win up front and you get a two and a half second sack, you know, and the, the coaching is always at the rush and the coverage work together. There were some plays that got extended Saturday um, that fell on the rush. You know, there were some losses at the line of scrimmage, whether it's impress or zone that created some quicker throws and didn't allow the rush to get there. So it was a little bit of both. Um you know, listen, we want to generate more pressure, and I've got to do a better job of making sure that there's enough pressure within each situation, um, regardless of the situation. So, you know, it, it works together. You know, that's from day one. We're always talking about that. You know, how do you rush the quarterback? How do you impact the passer and play tight coverage? When you play off coverage, how does the rush work together in order to help the coverage? Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's a working plan that works together. Next question is Kurt Weiler from Tallahassee Democrat. 
Hey, Coach. Uh, you, obviously, a guy like Jeff Sims is going to make it tougher on him just in terms of how he can extend plays. How do you evaluate, looking back at film, what the secondary did well and maybe didn't do as well in that game? Um, you know, there was – you know, there, you know, there were a couple one-on-one balls that we lost. Um, there were two balls that should have been picked that weren't. You know, Asante made his two plays or actually three plays that came to him. So, you know, there's always a make a play grade with the DBs because those are the guys that I believe are going to be on one-on-ones. I mean, you try to give help sometimes, but I mean, they're going to be on one-on-ones a lot of time. Um, you know, you just look at football games through it. Um, we do roll up and try and help them at times. Um, but, you know, overall, I think in the secondary, you know, the guys that played, you know, I thought Asante had a good, solid game, you know, in all of his, you know, tackling um, in zone coverage. You know, I think Akeem and Jerrion both want to play better. Um, we've got to coach them better. Um, you know, and, and I think the safeties as well. I think we've got a lot of work to do. We've got to get me better, especially in the tackling in the open field at safety. Um, so we're working through that right now. Adam Fuller's comments from earlier today. Keith, appropriately, uh, since you're the former safety, what did you think about the safety play the other day? Uh, the corners played better than the safeties, and certainly Florida State misses uh, Ham not being back there. And, uh, you know, they, they being uh, Coach Norvell, kind of hinted that maybe, just maybe, he would be ready for Miami now that they've got the, the open week between game one and game two. He would be a huge benefit back there. Uh, they did not tackle well in space, and that's one of the things that he does well. I like the corner play. Now, having said that, listeners would disagree with me from the standpoint that Sims threw for 277 yards. Well, part of that, and, and Coach Fuller didn't quite address it, but kind of alluded to it, they didn't pressure much with linebackers and or blitzes. When they did, they had some success. I think uh, if you would get Coach Fuller off of the record where he could talk uh, you know, from the gut, he would tell you that he was just not quite comfortable that they would be able to control Sims. Remember, they didn't know Sims was going to be the starting quarterback until a couple of three days before the game. And he is such a good talent, as we saw, that you have to take that into account. So I think if given the opportunity to do it again, there would be another six, eight, ten plays where Florida State brought some increased pressure defensively, and that might have made a difference in the ball game. I think also we have to take our hat off. You and I talked about this in our first look show, and Coach Norvell mentioned it in his post-game comments. You know, nobody thought much of Georgia Tech. They were ranked last in the in this conference. This is a better Tech team than anybody thought, particularly with Jeff Sims at the quarterback position. Sometimes you got to give your opponent a little credit for executing well. I thought it was a case of the defense saying, we're just going to keep this in front of them. He's a freshman quarterback. He's not going to be able to go up and down the field on us 10, 12, 14 plays. He'll make a mistake. And he did make some mistakes. Uh, as compared to – so the flip side, hindsight is always twenty twenty, as we know. So it's easy right now to say, well, you should have brought the house every play. Well, that sounds good until he escapes the pressure and now the corner is playing man and he's 30 yards down the field on the right side of the field and Jeff Sims runs to the right and he just ran for 38 yards. Exactly. And, and so – that that's the gamble, but it's it's a germane question, Keith, because Miami's quarterback can do this. Just about every quarterback FSU is going to face has this ability. So you have to figure out, uh, you know, do you mix it? We haven't seen FSU play a spy a ton on somebody, but you got to come up with something because you're going to see mobile quarterbacks. You cannot continue doing what you're doing. And the other thing that 
you know, to finish my comment about giving Tech credit for something, they threw a lot on running downs. They threw a lot on first down. You know, you don't normally blitz on first down. That that's just not normal. I thought they did um, a good. I thought they did a good job of that. I mean, it doesn't sound like that's big an adjust that big an adjustment, but they, you know, they ran on more traditional passing downs, and especially they threw on more traditional running downs, a la first down. Yeah, but I think too, uh, Coach Fuller and his staff. You know, they now have game tape about what the kids can do. Uh, they obviously see what it's like, and you're, as you mentioned, you're going to face a mobile quarterback. I, I guess I'd tell our listeners, go back to uh, segment one and see my comment earlier. Uh, that's just <laughs> the way the game is. Um, but I, I do think you'll see Florida State with some more pressure. Now, they'll give up some more points. As you and I, again, talked in the first look show, 16 points is enough. You know, holding somebody to 16 points is enough to win a lot of ball games in today's world. And FSU's defense did that. You, you heard Coach Fuller talk about priorities, you know, things like tackling in the open field and red zone defense. Um, they didn't tackle well in the open field, but they played good red zone defense. And, you know, I think we would all not have a problem giving up 500 yards between the 20s and an opponent only scoring 10 or 13 or maybe 16 points. You can win some ball games while you're getting better doing that. And I think you'll see that. Now, do I think – that this defense can come in and hold Miami to 16 points, gosh, I don't know. They might can, but I'm not sure. You'll get an opportunity to see Miami against Louisville, believe it or not, two top 20 teams. I know we're playing with a little bit of uh, limited participants, although I guess um, one of the conferences has announced that they're going to resume some play. We'll talk about that later. But um, it's still two top 20 teams that are going to play on Saturday in Louisville and Miami. You'll get a chance to look at them and, and see what else Miami brings to the table. But I like the long-term, you know, game five, game eight, game ten potential of this defense. I think by the time the middle of the season comes around to the end of the season, you're going to see a defense that is playing well enough for us to be happy. I really do. You give up 16 points, you should definitely win. And even if you say – because you're not going to block three kicks a week. Even if you give them those seven points – in today's college football, if you're at 23 points or less, I mean, to me, the race is almost at a minimum, it's almost to 30. I mean, that's about where we are now. I mean, you got to get to 30 offensively. And if your defense is giving up 24 points or less, 23 or less, that's a pretty good game in today's college football. That's just the way it is. You'll, you'll win seven or eight ball games doing that. You may, you won't win a national championship, but you can be very respectable. So you mentioned, we'll just talk about it now. Bob Ferrante is going to join us in a moment. But the Big Ten is the league that announced today. They're going to start October 24th. Gives them uh, eight Saturdays to play eight consecutive weeks and be ready just in time for the college football playoff, Keith. It's, uh, it's ironic. Maybe that's not the word. But uh, the way this worked out, they were the ones who decided to opt out first. And then as uh, we moved on, they're the ones opting back in because they don't want to get left at the altar here with a championship on the line. You know, you could be critical of them, and we, we probably will choose to, but it's like everything else in 2020. You kind of look around and see what someone else does first. Uh, I've not been involved in technology and things like, uh, you know, the development of the computer and software like Microsoft and ever, but I've always heard, I've always heard, you want to be on the leading edge, but you don't want to be on the bleeding edge of innovation. <laughs> and I think that's kind of where we're at in 2020. We want to be progressive. We want to be out there, 
but we kind of want somebody else to do it first. So maybe if there are obvious lessons to learn, we can learn them without having to experience them. So Big Ten coming back October 24th, Pac-12 still trying to figure it out. They've got uh, wildfires and COVID concerns, and so they don't have a date certain yet. One thing I do know for certain, Bob Ferranti, our Osceola insider, will join us momentarily when we continue on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Let's open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Say hello to our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. Bob, how are you, sir? Doing well. How are you guys? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I feel like, I, you know, we all had questions about what this team was going to be, but I think most just checked the box that it would be a win over Georgia Tech. And because it wasn't, everybody searched for the panic button. And the reality is you've you got to play this full schedule no matter what order you have to play them in. I think what's more important is are we going to see improvement week to week? Are we going to see better schemes, better coaching, that sort of thing? And it's hard to do that in the moment when you're looking at the scoreboard. but if you remove the emotion, I do think we can see that there were steps forward in some areas. Clearly, there's there's lots of areas that also need improvement. I don't know if you agree with that, but that's sort of a general statement to begin our conversation. Yeah, I think the great news is, A, football's back, and, and B, the special teams are really back. It felt like one of the best special teams performances in years. I think those were the overwhelming two positives of the day. You know, Asante Samuel Jr., I thought, looked like a true number one corner that, that we thought he could be with with two really big interceptions and those pass breakups. Uh, Mari Gaynor, again, looked like the kind of linebacker going to be very impactful. On offense, yeah, given two great drives, but the rest of it just never really could get in sync. So there was a lot there. Um, I think the big disappointment everybody's pointing to is defensive line. It didn't feel like that defensive line was very impactful as far as containing a mobile quarterback, let alone sacking them. So, yeah, there's a there's a ton. If you look at every position group, there's a ton to evaluate as far as do you look at a potential of a new starter? Do you look at um, major changes or not after one week? But you've got the bye week to kind of reevaluate and get ready for a rival. I told Tom earlier, uh, Bob, I'm, I'm going for minor victories and where I can get them. There weren't a lot of three and outs. There were a lot of eight and ten play drives that went 20 yards, but there weren't a lot of three and outs, and, and I vote as that's improvement. Yeah, the one thing that I think a lot of people haven't focused on is it's because of the interception, but Florida State pitched a shutout in the first half, and that did not happen in 2019, and I'm pretty sure it didn't happen in 2018 either. So that's, that's a small positive to me when you put a goose egg on the scoreboard at halftime. You, you've got to be able to secure it in the third and fourth quarter, and, and clearly Georgia Tech made some adjustments there. I, I'm kind of with you. I, I saw some positives here and there, some sort of building blocks within what we know are going to be a growing pain type of season. It, it's just now 
can you still continue that buy-in of the players that, hey, we lost, but we're close, and, and let's, let's keep pushing because the season only gets tougher. I mean, I think everybody knows, without admitting it, that Georgia Tech is one of the worst teams on the ACC schedule. Now, with Jeff Sims, that's going to be a better team, but everybody knows the schedule gets a lot tougher. It's impossible to do this because we focus on results, results, results. But you really have to, to me, almost you have to look at the season and not worry about the scoreboard and say, okay, did the run, did the offensive line get better over the course of the year? You know, when you look in November, uh, are the defensive ends better? Is the quarterback play better? And whatever the one loss record it is, but this wasn't going to be a team that was going to be in the college football playoff this year. I mean, there's a lot of growing pains, uh, you know, and, th- and and room for growth clearly. Here's what I want to ask you, and Keith and I talked a little bit about this, and it's the mental, the mental side of things. And I'll use this analogy now, which I didn't use with Keith, but I know Leonard Hamilton met the media today, and uh, there's news about college basketball, and we'll get that, to that in future shows. The fourth quarter or winning time feels to me like the team is at the free throw line, and instead of going there confidently that they're going to knock down the free throws to win the game, they go in there and they tighten up and think, and then the next thing you know, you've got a flat shot that hits the rim and doesn't go in. How do you change that mindset? I mean, it's and I'm I'm half joking and half not. Stan Jones needs to come over and work on the mindset there because we've seen what people have done in terms of improving their free throws at FSU. Yeah, it's a weird thing because I think when you recruit the great high school players at Florida State and everybody else does, ACC, SEC, and so on, you're typically recruiting guys who have been on a team that's found success. Maybe they've won a state championship or two. They're used to winning. And then I think when they come to a college and they don't get that taste of winning, that overall, um, not just the confidence of winning, but that approval that all my time, all my hard work through the off season, through practice work on the field. And then it, it's, it's, it shows up in the results on Saturday. Well, it hasn't shown up in the results on Saturday, you know, Florida state doesn't still have those confidence building wins. Um, Florida state didn't get it down at Miami in 2018. That would have been a huge win to kind of get the Taggart era going 2019. There wasn't that big win until really they beat Boston college to kind of get things re-sparked with Odell. Now looking at 2020, is this game coming up at Miami? Is that a chance where you go down there and frankly, are there some similarities to Jimbo's first year in 2010 where the program needed a big W and nobody thinks that Florida State's going to go down there and beat Miami by a 45 to 17 or anything, but what kind of confidence and momentum could come out of a really good performance, a significantly better performance from week one to week two, if Florida State goes down to Miami, plays really well, or pulls out what we think will probably be an upset with Miami being being favored there. You know, one of the things that's interesting, Bob, about team sports, Florida State needs a big win. They cannot gain that confidence without the big win. But even a big win doesn't give you that confidence if you don't process it correctly. And so – the bottom line is you got to have the win, and then after the win, you've got to process it correctly. It's a two-step thing, particularly in team sports. But it starts with that win. You just, you just, nothing else can replicate it. You can't do it in practice. You can't do it in tape. You can't do it with a motivational speaker. 
yeah, don't get too high. Don't get too low. Don't, you know, get caught up in what people are saying on social media about how good you are, or how bad you are. In a lot of cases, I, I felt like there were a lot of plays left on the table Saturday. I mean, they're, they were obvious. They were drops. They were some missed tackles. Um, thought Emmett Rice could have had a pick six. That changed the complexion of the game just as much as Tamari and Terry's drop could have been a, a coast home kind of touchdown for him. Those are plays that change everything from the play calling to your emotion, to field position, to everything. And it just didn't feel like after Florida State was up 10 nothing. it just didn't feel like they were able to build very much. And right, not getting that win, not getting that positivity going into a bye week like this, I do think it hurts. But if anything, you've got a bye week to improve and the next opponent is Miami. And a team like Miami, a rival, just has everybody's attention. You got me thinking about that Miami game in 2010. I mean, Keith and I called that game for Sun Sports, as a matter of fact. And Miami, there, there was nobody that thought Florida State was going to put it on Miami like they did. Now, having said that, I just looked up the rankings, and FSU was 4-1, and one, and they were number 23 in the country, Bob. So Miami was 13. So it was a different level than where we are right now. And I'm not predicting a 45-17 Florida State win. I do want to ponder this, and Keith and I didn't ponder. I wasn't even trying to bring Christian Ponder into the equation. That was accidental. Um, Keith and I didn't talk about this, but Miami has even fewer fans in attendance than what Florida State does right now. I think it's no students and maybe 5,000 total. So normally you would have greater reservation about giving a quarterback some time on the road in a hostile environment. But if you were going to try to give extended time, whether it's – and I don't know that Purdy's healthy enough or if it's Rotomaker or if it's Jordan Travis, on the one hand, you'd say it's rival Miami. We can't do it. On the other hand, you'd say it's not going to be a hostile environment. We don't have to worry about the crowd noise and plays. I mean, it seems like you could make the case to try it. Completely agree. I think the, the time is there to get a, a, a number two quarterback in there preferably earlier in the game. I think second quarter is ideal. We saw what Jordan Travis can do as a runner, and he's very, very capable. We also saw just on one pass what he's capable of doing, and it's it's not very accurate. So I, I think Tate Rodemaker is a very good option. The, the concern is that you stunt his growth. If you put him in there too early, too fast, that something bad could happen. But honestly – Something happened that was bad on Saturday. Florida State lost to Georgia Tech. And you're not going to learn what a Tate Rodemaker, a Chubba Purdy can do for you unless you get them out there on a Saturday and actually see it. And they're not going to learn how to grow unless they have the film to then review it in the coming weeks. I think this team needs a little bit of a spark. And, and part of the problem to me is the offense isn't playing very well around James Blackman. We can spend time critiquing Blackman or the offense, but they go hand in hand. Um, really, aside from Cameron McDonald, who had that great catch and he had a productive afternoon Saturday, I think you can point some fingers at just about everybody on offense and, and maybe, maybe some new starters at quarterback, at other positions, maybe some increased roles for backups here and there just will provide that spark that's necessary. As a first-year staff, though, Bob, can you afford to take your most popular player off of the field as it relates to team morale? That's a tough decision, too. It is. I totally agree. But 
your head coach, Bobby Bowden, made that call in 1976, and it was a tough one. And he knew there was a lot of apathy, and there was just some non-productive veteran players. Uh, we've talked about this. I know you guys have discussed it too. Some points you just got to make the tough call and you got to decide, am I ready to cut bait? And maybe he's not ready to cut bait, Mike Norvell, about James Blackman as a starter. But maybe he knows I've got to get in some other guys. Again, whether it's quarterback, other positions, you got to make some tough calls. This is clearly shaping up to be a rebuilding type of year where you've got to see what your younger guys can do comparative to your veterans. It feels like 76. Hang on, Tommy. Hang on, Tommy. You mentioned 76, and I know that's 40-plus years ago. But just to show you Coach Bowden, he didn't pull one guy. He pulled seven. In the first eight games of that season, they were two and six. I mean, that's how all-in Coach Bowden was. I'm not suggesting that Coach Novarell has to do that extreme, but – just a bit of a uh, history lesson. So Bob, what I was going to say, and thank you, Keith, it's good to know that you still remember something from back in those days. I have my doubts every now and then. Be quiet. <laughs> um, it feels like there's more options to make some moves defensively than offensively, Bob, to your point. So if we're not talking about quarterback, the, the five guys they started on the offensive line, I don't know if it's a complacency or assignment thing or if they have better options there. And at tight end, Cam McDonald played well. I don't know if there's better options there. Running back, those guys were all new. I mean, I did comment that I, to me it looks like Toa Feely has a little bit of a burst and maybe he gets more carries over the first two guys or gets more opportunities. So really it feels like – I mean, maybe I'm misinterpreting. Are you talking about the receivers more than anything? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. The drops aggravate me, and I know it's been a source of frustration for a decade or more. It's just not having that consistency out of the receiving core. You know, the running back situation, we, we knew what it was going into the year. It's a lot of productive guys. There is no Cam Akers. I think you guys talked about this and addressed it on Sunday. There's not a Cam Akers get-me-some-yards-after-contact type yet but they have to go out and find who's that guy who can at least break a tackle or fall forward and keep getting you in a better second second down, better third down situation, extend the chains. The offensive line, I, I thought guys like Mark Salva and Pat Burnham on our podcast, they've discussed, they see, they see positive signs out of the offensive line. They see better communication. They thought the first five when they were in the game were – much better comparative to last year where things kind of fell apart in the offensive line is when you had injuries, when you had to lean on some of those second team guys and you didn't have a Thomas Schrader or Robert Scott, some of those younger ones that you could lean on, you, you saw some, some protection failures, you know, Chaz Neal had that kind of whiff on, on right tackle. And that's where James got the strip sack and the fumble. You had some kind of situations where some linemen just didn't come through and part of that is, yes, coaching didn't have a, a tight end or a chipping running back. I think it's the blame or the point of the finger, whatever you want to call it, it, it can be shared among players and coaches. But I think you have to learn from these mistakes, see who you can trust, figure out there's a young guy that you think you can trust in certain situations, and just kind of play around with it. It, it has to happen, frankly, to kind of see if there's growth with the player and growth overall with the team. I'm actually intrigued to see how this coaching staff handles it right now. I mean, I think there's a lot of 
football acumen on the staff. And I think Norvell is a pretty sharp football mind. So, but I do think, and Keith, you raised this question. It's, it is a delicate balance between saying it's time we got to make significant changes versus I've got to keep the football team and they believe in this guy or, or that guy. And so you, you got to know the personality of your team, and that whole dynamic, but the standard is the standard, right? And if guys aren't meeting the standard, maybe that's how you answer that question. I would argue competition should answer who you play. And it's how you evaluate that. Is it through practice? Is it through the scrimmages, through the game against Georgia Tech? How they respond this week during the bye week? You know, what what has made Florida State great through the years has been those battles on the practice field on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays. And, you know, seeing the great corner go up against the great receiver. So what do all the great players say? Well, Saturdays were easy because Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday was hard. We've got to see some really good competition and practice getting ready to see what then those guys can show when we're all kind of watching on a Saturday. Our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. Bob, thanks as always for joining us. All right. Thanks. Take care. Thanks, Bob. We'll be back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, thanks to Bob Ferrante, our Osceola Insider, for joining us. As always, I encourage you, if you don't already, subscribe to the Osceola, $6.95 a month, $74.95 a year. They'll hook you up with a free trial if you want to test the water, so to speak. But uh, great insight. They do a really nice podcast, too. Bob mentioned Mark Salva. Mark was a center uh, back, I guess, mid-'80s, and uh, maybe a little bit later than that, became a GA, got into coaching, and, of course, Patrick Burnham. Uh, on the Osceola staff too. So they're, they're, they're technical experts, so to speak. And it's encouraging to hear Bob say that the OL guys see that see improvement there because to the naked eye and the layman eye, Keith and my eye, it's tough to judge that. And and mine too, obviously Uh, I've watched football for a lot, but even though I'm large enough now to play offensive line, I never actually played it. Well, that's not true. One time I got in trouble in seventh grade and the coach got mad at me and put me at center, but that's a story for another day. I like the fact that they talk from a technical standpoint about improvement, improvement. And I really do think that that front five showed some improvement before they started getting those injuries in the ballgame against Georgia Tech. And as we all know, it all starts with the front line. How about this, Tommy? I was thinking about this during the break. You know, if, if Emmett Rice catches that ball and, and returns it for six, if uh, there's no drops, if Terry gets the touchdown, you know, if Florida State wins this ball game, how different is our thought process about this team? Would we have been that encouraged, a little encouraged, a lot? What would we be thinking if Florida State had been victorious? Well, I think it's a fair point because really if you extrapolate it further, if you're a coach and you're unsure, should I go with player A or player B, should I do X or should I do Y, and you win, well, you're more inclined to do the same thing again because you won. 
But now you look at it and with that result, and if you're having that same conversation and you were thinking, well, maybe I should start B over A, well, maybe now that decision's made, you know, because of the results. So it could expedite the timeline a little bit. It could, it could force you to make changes more quickly than you wanted to. Now, I will say this, to be fair to Norvell and his staff, the fact that we as media or fans feel like we've seen this script before for the last few years does not mean that he should listen to us and go and change everything based on one game. He's got his system, the way he coaches, his beliefs, his amount of, uh, you know, slack in a rope, so to speak, when he knows that it's time to, to move somebody along. So I, I think we got to be fair on that end, too. I think we also need to recognize that in a typical spring, 15 practices, you're going to have basically three scrimmages and a game. So four good on good for a long period of time. This fall camp, they had two good on good and then played Georgia Tech. So you would have had twice as many good on goods, long period, longer period of time to do an evaluation. And, and again, we're repeating the, the, the dogma, but that's how important that spring practice is for player development and coach evaluation. So what do you do with Jordan Travis, Keith? We talked about this in the break a little bit with Bob. If, if the collective thinking between Dillingham and Norvell is that he does not throw the ball well in practice, I take the chance and put him in the game for two or three series and let, ask him to do everything Blackman is being asked to, to be done. If he doesn't shine, if he doesn't do well, then you've answered that question. Then I go to Tate. I go to Chubba when he's available. My point is, we know what we have with Blackman, good, bad, or indifferent. And you don't know what you have with the young guys. Give them an opportunity. Because you can always go back to Blackman. He, he is – this sounds so terrible in today's environment, but he is, he is more than serviceable. You can win ball games with James Blackman. But can the younger kids give you that extra spark? Can they make the other ten around them that much better? as well as their own individual play. Now's the time to test it. Now's the time to find out. That's what I would do, but I don't get paid to do it. I get paid to talk about it. And a handsome pay it is, Mr. Jones. What uh, – when you look at the game, because this was an oft-asked question, you know, Florida State had success early on, seemed to be the quick passing game, screens and that sort of thing, and it felt like they went away from that. Is that fair? Did Georgia Tech change what it was doing? Uh, was James just missing later in the game? I think Georgia Tech changed what they were doing, and as a result, Dillingham and excuse me, Norvell changed his play calling. You know the the chess game. So third or fourth series, Tech starts doing this. So they went to something else, and the thing that they went to, the thing that Florida State went to, Blackman did not execute well. He had executed well the first two series, first three series. Tech changes, calls change. Blackman didn't respond well to the new new calls. That's how I would categorize. That's how I'd answer the test question without having actually sat down and gone through the tape with Coach Norvell. Makes sense, Keith. Any other thoughts? We got a couple minutes before we finish up here. Well, we got to remember that though it's not a twelve game season, uh, that you know it is a process. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. You've heard all the cliches. Uh, we didn't appreciate how far this program had regressed 
physically, and now we're beginning to see uh, mentally, emotionally, competitively. We've just got to be patient. I mentioned this earlier, and I know it's over 40 years ago, and our, our, our listeners get tired of me bringing it up. But, you know, Coach Bowden was 2-6 and six through eight games in 1976. The uh, change that Bob was talking about came in week two or three. And literally, he benched seven seniors and played seven sophomores, uh, maybe even like four freshmen and three sophomores. Whole scale changes. Didn't work. They kept losing games. But they put it together the last three games of that 76 season went up to uh, the, the 77 season, which they went to the bowl game. I'm not suggesting that's the same track that uh, the Norvell staff is going to uh, enter into. It'd be great if it did. But it may not get any better any quicker because there's a long way to come from to get to, to uh, misuse the prepositions. Well, I think what you're saying, and I think it's true, there, you can move parts and pieces around, but you're, you're not going to get immediate benefit necessarily from that. You might get benefit four games down the road. It might, it might benefit you more at the start of next season, depending on what the move is. Uh, you know, maybe it's the end of this season. doesn't necessarily mean because you, you switched A, B, and X, Y that all of a sudden you're beating Miami. But, no, but hopefully, but, but maybe it changes culture. Maybe it changes practice habits. Maybe it, you know, maybe it leads to development of a guy, whatever it is. And that's, that's what a coach gets paid to do, to figure out when to make those moves. We need to be satisfied, never content, but satisfied seeing continued improvement this year. Uh, as you mentioned, this was not a team that was going to compete for the national championship. This is not a team more than likely that's going to play in a New Year's Bowl uh, but this is a team that week in and week out, we can look at and see improvement. And we did. We saw effort. We saw uh, special teams shine. There were individual plays and sometimes collectively team efforts that were good. We just have a long way to go. And, and it's, it's not human nature, but we have to be patient and let this staff do what they do. Let these kids absorb what the staff is teaching and leading them to do. And, and be satisfied with consistent improvement week to week. Now, if they regress, if they go down to Miami and get whipped 72 to nothing, yeah, whole scale changes. I don't envision that happening. I also don't envision them going down and winning the ball game 36 to nothing. But we need to be content, excuse me, satisfied and not content with continued improvement until this staff gets into to a, a level that they can compete. That's what we strive for here on this show. I hope our listeners are satisfied but not content that we can get 1% better each and every week, Keith. Well, I'm working on a half. You work on a half. We'll put those together and get one. How about that? Maybe a third, and we can factor Bob in somehow, too. Whatever it takes to get 1% better. Folks, we'll do this again next week. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. Education. We don't need no thoughts control.